0: Hi, everyone. It's Kino here. Thanks so much for tuning in to the Yoga Inspiration Show. I hope these talks give you a little bit of inspiration to keep practicing and make your world a better place. Yoga is more than just a physical practice. It's a lifelong spiritual journey, and we constantly need sustenance to help us stay on the path. So I hope you find that sustenance right here, and I look forward to seeing you on the mat. When you begin to practice Meditation, do yoga. And when you step onto the spiritual path, there is a lot of kind of confusion about what the results are. You do not immediately snap your fingers and wake up as the Buddha. This is not what's happening here. So, what is happening? And when we are actually joining the meditation path, the spiritual path, practicing yoga, doing med- sitting meditation, what are we doing here what can we expect well one of the first things is that we understand is that we're beginning to work we're all beginning to work with the habit pattern of the mind and this habit pattern of the mind there are of course always every human being every being has some good habit patterns but also every human being also has some destructive habit patterns patterns of self sabotage Patterns of sabotage in general, patterns of negativity, self-hatred, and, you know, other things that arise. So, actually, sometimes when you step onto the spiritual path, after a very short kind of honeymoon period, where everything is wonderful and you love the yoga practice, you feel very calm after meditation, Then, what comes up is the old habit pattern of the mind, which some people refer to as the shadow work of the spiritual path. Suddenly, you realize, oh, I have the seed of negativity within me. And even though I've been hiding it very well, that seed is not anyone else's but my own. I myself have the seed of negativity that lives within me. And that realization is a true awakening but it's not fun you know it's not like immediately peaceful because just if you recognize that you have some pattern of anger negativity something like this doesn't mean that immediately it will be gone actually when that pattern arises it probably means it's going to stick around for a little bit so that you can get intimate with it and get to know what that pattern is where it comes from how to work with it and become more conscious about it the more that you resist what you could call the shadow work, looking more deeply inside of some of these old habit patterns that are most destructive, most harmful towards ourselves and others, the longer those old pattern, habit patterns are going to stick around. So the reason I share that with you is that sometimes directly after the meditation, you may feel very peaceful for some period of time. That does not mean you have arrived at the final state of samadhi. However, and, and even more than that, sometimes experiencing prolonged states of peacefulness so when you feel very, very peaceful for some period of time, then this is like a signal to your higher self, to the universe, to God, that you're kind of ready for a new challenge. So in fact, the deeper states of peace and the deeper states that you're able to dive into and penetrate within your own mind are kind of a signal that you're ready for deeper challenges and so the way that this is kind of talked about is that you know once you experience kind of a calm tranquil space then it is that space it is into that space of calm tranquility that the old habit patterns of the mind start to insert themselves so then these old samskaras we call them arise and this had been a sleeping samskara that had been in a dormant state and had not been activated, so a habit pattern that is there somehow kept uh, in a very, what's called a dormant state, so it's not activated, and then when you reach a kind of plateau of tranquility, that's kind of a sign for that old habit pattern to spring up, and many students at this moment feel, oh, this is so depressing, you know, so depressing, I'm doing yoga, and I feel I'm not peaceful. I'm doing meditation and I feel more angry than ever. I can I have less patience and tolerance with the world. I must be doing something wrong. This spiritual path is not working for me. Maybe my mind is not for it or maybe I've got the technique wrong and these sorts of things, you know? So when we say that every path taken on the spiritual journey is progress, it's really true. But that also includes steps that sometimes feel like you're backsliding and that that you don't you don't always feel like it's a linear path that you're just going one foot in front of the other that there are times when you have to go back and look at some of that shadow work that it actually ends up feeling like you're taking steps backwards but don't get disturbed it's all part of the practice and it's all part of the process of kind of making peace with everything the totality of of, of what is contained within the body and the mind. And I'm not beyond that, you know, myself, you know, I go through periods where I feel, you know, a deep connection to, you know, this, this, my spiritual path and, and there, and I really feel, you know, rooted in equanimity and non-reactivity in my life. And then now and again, uh, I also have this experience where, oh, I thought I was beyond that. And then look, here I am reacting again, reacting again. My buttons got pushed by one thing or another and I'm reacting again and reacting again. And so what's important in those moments that we all have, again, myself included, is that we treat it just like the practice. You have to forgive yourself for that exactly in that moment and understand that this too is the foundation of the spiritual path and just redirect and come on back to the breath and come on back to the breath, come on back to the path. Do you notice, oh, I veered away from my equanimity. I was reacting. I reacted with a lot of, you know, emotionality and negativity. And I, you know, reacted from a place of, of destruction and sabotage towards myself and others. There's no need to then add more negativity to that. That is already enough. Just notice that and then make amends. Okay, I forgive myself for those actions and then I'm gonna do better next time I come back to the path. And each time you notice, you just repeat the same technique that we learned in meditation. How many times the mind wanders in five minutes? Too many times to even keep track of, you know? So you're practicing forgiving the mind each time it wanders away. And it's super important that you actually train in that kind of state of of forgiving yourself back to the breath, forgiving yourself back to the breath, because this is sort of the daily application of, you know, everyday life. Mm -hmm. So now let's go and take a look at some of the questions. I see some questions have come in. So please feel welcome to add your questions in as well. So Maya, hi Maya. As the first question, what is the purpose of sitting meditation? And how is the purpose different and similar to the purpose of asana? Oh, what a good question, Maya. I think you start to really begin to Kind of penetrate the deeper teachings of yoga when we start to think about you know what am I like what am I doing here when I'm sitting and how is it related to asana you know so this is actually quite a quite a deep question even though maybe you know uh, uh, maybe you didn't think that as well this is a very deep question actually so first let us look at the purpose of asana you know so the purpose of asana we are trying to particularly in the ashtanga yoga method and any any method of yoga that considers itself hatha yoga. The tool of asana is meant to be a tool of body awareness. It's like a body awareness technique. So you do this asana, some asana, say asana pose, triangle pose. And as you're doing the triangle pose, then suddenly you feel muscles, joints, and bones, and things that were not normally in your field of awareness. So then you begin to bring your mind into more wholeness. So then the conscious and the subconscious mind starts to become one. You begin to become more embodied. So that instead of being kind of a brain without a body, the consciousness gets to fold, you know, deeper into uh, the cells of the body and deeper into, you know, all the different um, different levels of awareness. Well, so when we take we take asana in this way. This might be very far from what we immediately hear asana. Uh, you know, to be described as, oh, what is asana? I'm trying to get flexible. Oh, what is asana? I'm trying to get strong and lift up into handstand or something like that. And we have to, oh, this is very far from the spiritual journey of asana. So to understand the spiritual journey of asana, we have to understand first, asana is to bring your mind into total unity with the body, and in that state of unification then this is the, this is the foundation upon which deeper spiritual investigation can take place. So there is an old, an old sort of yoga legend that says that all the yoga asanas exist for this one sole purpose to make your mind in unity with the body. And I guess it's to do dual purpose, make the mind in unity with the body and make the body strong enough and flexible enough to tolerate Long periods of seated meditation. So when we think about that, we think, oh my goodness. So how much flexibility, how much strength do you need? Well, I mean the seated meditation is quite difficult. you know As soon as you begin to sit, so much pain arises, you sit there and we think, oh, I'm just gonna sit here, how bad can it be? Five minutes in, this begins to be a very severe torture, you know? So then we start moving, we move one foot, we move another foot, and then we start thinking, oh, please, let me take no more meditation. Let me go back to asana or I'm jumping back and jumping through and let me stretch my hamstring muscle. I prefer that pain because at least you're doing something. So meditation, we understand to be more subtle and a little harder than the asana practice. So when when we think about the purpose of meditation, purpose of asana practice, we can think that they're not separated, but actually they're part of the same path of the spiritual path of awakening. And that asana is a tool that can help your meditation practice. And meditation is a tool that will definitely help your asana practice. What we say with the asana state is that the asana state you begin to practice, again, this mind-body connection. And at the same time, you're beginning to lay the foundation of equanimity. However, there is a difference, a very crucial difference between the asana practice and the meditation practice. The first of those the first difference between the asana practice and the meditation practice is that an asana practice when you're doing yoga asanas those yoga asanas can uh, injure the body you, know, you can push too hard and overstretch you know you can overstretch your hamstring many students have done that you can push too hard and you know overstretch the shoulder or even injure a muscle or a joint or something like that so there's a very different way that we work with pain in yoga asana versus meditation now here is something very interesting in meditation in the meditation practice there as long as you're not sitting in a weird position you know what I mean by a weird position as long as you're not sitting trying to do seated meditation with both legs behind your head something weird you know as long as you're just sitting there and if lotus position is not comfortable for you, then lotus position counts as a weird position. Okay. This is mostly just like a normal. I don't sit in lotus position or half lotus. I just sit in what's called in you know, yoga is the easy pose. So as long as you're sitting in a regular basic meditation position, no pain that you experience will lead to injury. And this is a very big difference. So the level. <clears throat> the level of equanimity and detachment that you can develop towards pain in meditation is of a whole other realm. And once you disidentify or remove the personalization of pain, there's a whole other level of kind of mind, body, transcendence and self-transcendence that's possible. Now, a question that normally immediately follows, and I see that 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 begins to come up here as well. So now we have two students asking about some pain in the knees, all right? So when we're talking about pain in the meditation, as long as you're seated in a normal position, so this means that if you're a little bit tighter, you wanna elevate your hips a little bit, but not too much. So you wanna think about, um, you wanna think about again, just a nice comfortable seated meditation position. And then <clears throat> be sure that the knees have any support that they need, you know? So we're thinking about just getting yourself a good, comfortable seated position. Some people hear the teaching, oh, I, whatever pain I experienced in meditation is okay. And then they mistakenly think that they're going to treat the seated meditation as kind of like a seated hip opener. So then they think, I'm just going to sit here until my hips open. Now we're treating meditation like asana. So you need to take a very comfortable seated meditation position first. So you could sit on a cushion and then use two blocks underneath the knees or put two cushions underneath the knees and and, and also elevate the hips on a cushion. Um, if 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 there's a lot of extreme discomfort because of sickness, illness, injury, or any other condition like that, at that point, meditation can also be done lying down. But the deeper states of meditation are meant to be experienced in a seated position. So first, check the comfortable seated position and make sure it's comfortable and normal and the body has a good support. And if the knees are quite elevated because the hips are a little bit tight, then definitely support the knees underneath. Then what we what we say traditionally is that the idea of um, meditation and the meditative mind is that you can cultivate such a level of equanimity where in the asana practice, we're very, we have to be very, very almost ident, not, not necessarily identified with the pain, but we have to be more more sensitive to it and listen to it. So for example, if you're getting into lotus position and there's pain in the knee, you want to immediately back off of the lotus position. But if you're in what is a very comfortable seated position, And then you feel a throbbing sensation in the knee. And I've had this for many times in meditation. Number one, you check your meditation posture and make sure it is actually comfortable for yourself. And then number two, recognize that this is something to be aware of and feel and and check in with. If the knee is injured, you might need to adjust the posture dramatically until the injury is better. But the reality of pain in meditation is that no matter what position you take, There will be pain somewhere. If you take a lying down position and you go in bed and get under your covers and think I'm going to pull the duvet over myself and really get comfy and cozy and even put a big pillow underneath the knees to think I'm really going to support the knees and be in a spa meditation today. After about 10 minutes in that comfortable position, then what's going to happen? Oh, the blanket is too hot now. I need to remove the blanket. I'm sweating. Then you remove the blanket. And then what? I'm cold. I want to put the blanket back on, maybe just on knees. Then what happens next? Oh, my left foot only is hot. And I want to move my right shoulder. My right shoulder doesn't like to be in this position anymore. And so now you Put yourself in the spa position. And still there is pain. So this is, these are the types of pain that I'm talking about in meditation. We want to sort of accept all of those pains that arise while being reasonable, you know. I'll give you an example of an unreasonable acceptance of pain. So they say we're cultivating in meditation equal parts wisdom and um, awareness. I don't I'll say wisdom and compassion, but wisdom and awareness as well. So I have done... Um, <clears throat> I uh, My first ever meditation retreat was in Nepal, in the foothills of the Himalayas. And I'm from Florida, and I had also just been in South India for six months. And South India had been getting hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter and hotter as the monsoon was building and building. And the barometric pressure was dropping every day, and the evening uh, temperatures were around 100 degrees Fahrenheit. So it was very hot. And then I have suddenly placed myself in Nepal in the foothills of the Himalayas and I was inappropriately dressed. And I was given the direction that no pain that you experience will lead to injury. Remain equanimous and observe all sensations as they arise as merely the arising and passing of the ephemeral states of mind and matter. And I thought, this is the technique. Let me practice the technique. And I was very cold because I did not have proper clothing. And I was freezing, actually. Very, very cold. I didn't I didn't even own any shoes at the time. I had only sandals. And I had no socks. So I was very, very cold. And the night was very cold. They had very, very little heating as well. I think most people were from the area up there in the north. And I, was, I had placed all of whatever scant clothing items I owned on my body. And I was still quite cold. And I slept with all of the clothing items and various other cloths that uh, that I had, I slept with those in the night. After three days, I have developed a cold and I have told no one because I was just observing that I was cold. And I was observing the sensation of cold in the night. And it was so cold that I could not sleep. So I was observing that I was so cold that I could not sleep and I was shivering through the night. And, I mean, and on the third day, the meditation teacher is calling everyone up. Oh, how are you doing? How are you doing? Are you, are you able to remain a quantumist? And I said, yes, I'm feeling very quantum. <laughs> economist and I was sniffling because I was cold. And then the meditation teacher leaned down and said to me, excuse me, do you have a cold? I said, I don't know, but I am aware of a stuffy sensation in my nose. And she said, it sounds like you have a cold. It's very stuffy inside. She said, you need to, do you have any warmer clothes than what you're wearing? And I said, indeed, these are all the clothes I have. And she said, why didn't you say anything? Do you have any blankets? And I said, I do not have any blankets. As I said, these are all the items that I have with me on my person now. And I had a shawl that I was wearing. And she said, oh goodness, let's get you some blankets and some socks and some warm clothes and a sweater and maybe a hat as well. And then let's get you a warm, a thermos full of, uh, Warm, hot lemon water, and let's get this filled up for you every chance you get. This is, this is, you can't. This is why didn't we have to tell someone if you're sick? And I said I was just trying to remain equanimous. And then she looked at me with, with just, I think, equal parts compassion and confusion, and just said, maybe not that much equanimity, <laughs> you know. And I felt extremely dumb in that moment. I felt like this is ridiculous. I could, I would have equanimously faced my death. You know, and then uh, I was talking again, you know, with some meditation teachers. And then they said, you know, it's not just equanimity, it's equanimity and wisdom, you know. So, for example, if you're finding yourself meditating and you feel like, you know, a sharp stabbing pain and you feel chest pains in the center of the heart and suddenly you cannot breathe, then you have to make an estimation. I think my awareness says that maybe this is like a heart attack. I should call the paramedics now. So we make some part wisdom and compassion. You don't want to equanimously cross over to the other side, you know, and then, and then cross over and realize, ooh. This was a little too much equanimity. I need also to bring in wisdom, and like that, that's why I say comfortable seated position. So we want to really just get a comfortable position, assuming a basic comfortable position. Then you know, within reason, no pain that you experience, like throbbing in the knees, these burning, these burning, itching sensations, strong desire to move. You know, the all these sorts of things, these generally arise and pass, arise and pass. If the seated position is very difficult on the knees after the meditation practice then lie down with straight legs for about five minutes after and this just helps everything kind of just come back into the neutral position now meditation helps asana practice dramatically so angela is asking how does meditation help asana so meditation helps asana by really bringing in the tool of equanimity into your asana practice in the asana practice, the mind can get very imbalanced very quickly, especially when we face failure in asana practice. You know, when we're doing a posture and we can't do the posture to the ability that we want to be able to do the posture, then the mind gets very, very agitated. And without the tool and the training of the meditative mind or some aspect of equanimity, this is very frustrating. And many students quit yoga feeling very down and depressed because they you know, can't do the posture the way that the teacher does the posture or the way that the posture looks on some yoga magazine or something like that. So the meditation can help you accept where you are. Acceptance, wonderful tool. Forgiveness, wonderful tool. And the ability to remain equanimous, to remain balanced in your approach to the asana. So many yoga students who don't have a meditation practice and they get too focused physically, then they can end up uh, harming the body you know so meditation can really help you uh, cultivate the uh, a state of equanimity which can improve your asana practice increasing the level of non-attachment and they say that you know a flexible mind creates more flexibility in the body so as the mind sort of opens and relaxes then maybe there's more space in the joints and then the muscles as well Lastly, the very important tool of uh, of meditation that can really begin to bring you into uh, can really improve your asana practice is the cultivation of a very very powerful focus. So when you're able to perceive the most subtle sense perception, and your mind is able to sort of slip into a state of harmony and flow. Then this really can improve your asana practice because you can get intimate with the small muscles and joints and a different methodology of movement mechanics that is less based than doing and more based than being. Mm -hmm. So let's continue with a few questions. Melody's asking, hi Melody. Is it normal to have twitches? or nerves calling, involuntary, involuntary movements while meditating. Does it ever go away or is it just the nerves reacting? Sometimes there's twitching in meditation and sometimes there's not. Sometimes the eyeballs are moving a lot and sometimes there's not. Sometimes uh, there's jerky sensations, particularly if you're feeling like you're falling asleep. You know, Sometimes we begin to meditate. Oh, wonderful, I'm going to meditate. And then the mind and the body are like fantastic nap time. So then if you just close the eyes and... Oh. Wake yourself back up. And this will happen. Sometimes you can feel like you're going in a circle like this, you know? And sometimes you can feel like there's a little, little like ants in your pants, almost like you're shaking and moving around. Other times there'll be tension that comes in the muscles and then it goes away. And these are all totally normal. So it's completely normal. The only thing you need to do is observe and remain equanimous. Oh, look, burning sensation here. Oh, look, burning sensation there. So I have this uh, love and hate battle that I go through with a particular burning sensation in my body during meditation. I have a sitting bone, and I don't know, I don't know why, but I have a sitting bone that likes to burn. And the sitting bone, this burning sensation, the sitting bone, it moves from the right side, goes to the left side. The burning sensation, the sitting bone, begins to be not only the sitting bone, but it begins to radiate sometimes outward into the whole. Kind of the whole ilium, the whole pelvis, the the bone, the whole bone of the pelvis starts to just like vibrate in pain. Now I can rationally use wisdom and understand like this is just because I'm holding the posture for a period of time, you know, and there's no pain, there's no damage. Like my sitting bone is not going to disintegrate into the ground because I'm sitting in the posture for a period of time. Yet still, I'm gonna do my best to make the seat upon which I'm sitting as comfortable as possible. So I take a a big, cushy cushion and I try to sit on as much of a cushion as possible. Still that pain in my sitting bone is waiting for me. And there are some days that my reactivity level is high and I'm like, ah, here's that pain again. Man, what's wrong with this? This is ridiculous. Can't believe it. Oh, and it's radiating, man, it's getting bigger. Oh, it's awful, terrible. Back to the breath. Uh, I can't even focus on the breath. The pain is so big. And I feel like I'm losing it in there. And I feel like I'm in my own private insanity over sitting bone pain. And then I start reacting to the fact that I'm going insane over sitting bone pain. I can't believe it. just sitting bone pain. And look at you. This is unbelievable. Now you're sitting here. It's ridiculous. Then I'm sitting there from the outside. What does it look like? Total calm. But inside, I'm going insane, fighting with my sitting bone. There are some days it's like that. Other days, I sit there, the pain. Pain level, same pain level. Something in me is different. And I observe, oh, this pain in my sitting bone is here. Oh, hello, pain in the sitting bone. Reactivity level, zero. Equanimity, back to the breath. And then the pain is there. Same level of pain. But my awareness is on the breath. In those few moments, those few moments are liberating. In those few moments, it's, um, it's a real liberation. Mm-hmm. So Teresa is asking a very interesting question. Thanks, Teresa. Teresa says, do you have any suggestions for shadow work outside of meditation? Oh, yes. So life provides numerous circumstances to do the shadow work. Every time you feel irritated, every time you feel annoyed, every time you feel angry, sad, depressed, this is the opportunity to do the shadow work. So what can you do? Well, there are numerous things to do. First, in that moment itself, you can sit down and meditate. And then begin to be intimate with what is triggered inside of you. This is one of the hardest things to do. Oh, I'm feeling so much anger, anger, anger. What do you want to do? The last thing you want to do in that moment is sit down and come back to your breath. But if you can in that moment, it will be really, really powerful because you'll become intimate with all the sensations and the physical level, the embodiment level of anger. Same thing is true with any other emotion that arises. Now we don't always have the liberty to extract ourselves from difficult situations in the life. So you can then reflect on that after. There is a wonderful tool of of, uh, journaling that you can use to write uh, with various prompts to help yourself process some of these uh, different and, and dark states that come up that are inside of there, inside of the mind, working with a good therapist, or some sort of a spiritual guide can be very, very helpful in terms of diving into uh, that shadow work that's there. Uh, If there there hasn't been a lot of sort of inner process work done around uh, uh, questioning one's thoughts, then this is part of the work to take the lessons of the meditation path and bring them into everyday life. So along those lines, there's a very interesting question about the application of mindfulness and meditation uh, to uh, life. So this question, dear Kino, what do you think of the opinions that mindfulness and meditation that says that people are getting too inwardly focused, too egotistical, too individualistic? So, yes, there is this idea that, oh, now you're just uh, staring at your navel all day. How is this making the world a better place? You know, now you're worshiping at the temple of yoga and meditation for hours and hours a day. With those hours, you could be saving the world or feeding the starving children or, you know, rescuing the habitats of the world and, you know, fixing the plants and saving the seals and all that good stuff that we all want to do. You know, removing all the plastic from the oceans. Parenthetically, someone really should go remove all the plastic from the oceans. So, and then do all that other good stuff too. So what is this teaching about that? Well, here's the thing, and here's the way that your personal spiritual awakening has an impact on the world, There are numerous ways, but here's the first and most foundational way. When you, as an individual, remove the seeds of negativity within you, when you have burned through the anger, the depression, the anxiety, the fear within you, when that is no longer the foundation of your actions, then every action you make in the world is an act of healing. Whether that action is talking to your family members, Whether that action is planting a plant in your garden, whether that action is trying to reforest some deforested area of the world, whether that action is taking the work of an activist to stand up for a cause that you believe in, to the degree to which you have removed the seeds of anger, hatred, ill will, fear, and all suffering from within yourself, that much more effective you will be at whatever course of action you take in the world so that your very presence will emit a vibration that leads to healing. Now, that being said, that being said, that being said, there we cannot think that the benefits of the practice are for us alone. So if you do not actually move from mindfulness to metta, If you only stay in mindfulness and only bring the attention to the breath, then we're keeping the benefits of the practice only for ourselves. This is why metta is so important. And in the yoga practice, why the closing prayer, the dedication of the merits of our practice for the benefit of others is so important so that we understand, oh, I am not only fighting for my own liberation. I am working for the liberation of all, so that whatever peace, whatever harmony, whatever happiness I experience, then I seek to share that with others. And you're guided by the same sort of you know, guidance of awareness and wisdom, so that then in various moments, the meditator does not withdraw from difficulty, because that's the same state of mind that runs away from pain. The meditator moves in or, the you know, the yogi, someone on the spiritual path moves in to difficulty with the idea being that if that spiritual practitioner is able to maintain the equanimous mind, even in the midst of difficulty, that their presence will be more effective at bringing about a peaceful resolution. But of course, to the degree to which the seeds of anger, ill will, hatred, fear, animosity, the degree to which those seeds are driving our actions, then we will only be spreading more of those seeds out into the world. So then actually, we need to scratch our heads and think oh, actually, it's so important for the world that I meditate every day, that I do my yoga practice every day. Otherwise, I'll just be spreading those old seeds all over again and I won't be contributing to the bettering of the world. And this is a very, 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 very important way to take the lessons of the spiritual path and begin to apply them into everyday life. Otherwise we can end up on a crusade of righteousness, you know, thinking, oh, I'm going to, you know, make a crusade for this and make a war for this and make a war for that. And then years later we realize, oh my goodness, fought." And I fought, and I fought, and I fought, and I created war in the name of peace. Oh, I have been off the path. And what do you do in that moment? I've been there, you know, I have taken up crusades of righteousness, righteousness for one thing or another. And I realized, oh, the seed of my action, even though maybe morally I could say, or I could judge this or judge that, that I myself had a seed of anger, hatred, illness myself, and that that was in there. I had to recognize that within myself. Oh, I I did that. Wow! And sit with that and realize, oh, this was not enlightened action. I have lost my equanimity. And then, what do you do? Forgive yourself. Come back to the breath. Forgive yourself. Come back to the breath. Because you know, you're you're even even if you're even if you end up spreading hatred, negativity. You didn't mean it. You know, if you were trying to do good, but anyhow, it ended up bad. This is just humanity. This is kind of who we are. We try to do good, it ends up bad. We try to do good, it ends up bad. We try to do something wonderful, we sabotage ourselves. We try to say something nice, we offend people. You know, We try to give somebody a compliment and they say, you've offended me. Oh, I'm sorry. You know? And then this is sort of how we are. We're bumbling, stumbling fools, moving from one, one thing to another. So this is why the spiritual path is so important so that, all, oh, maybe we can take instead of less, we can take instead of five stumbles and hitting five people along the way, maybe we can just stumble two or three times and learn to for, you know, forgive ourselves along the way. So, so now uh, there's one practical question. Uh, Sarah says, I find I do need to make adjustments to straighten my back and posture occasionally. And I'm guessing this is normal. So this is important. If you notice that subconsciously during your meditation practice, you have slackened your posture, you know, and this, this has happened to me uh, very often. Yeah. I don't know that it's not like I've taken a conscious decision. Oh, you know, now go ahead and slack off with your posture. No, no. I'm trying to focus on my breath. I'm focusing on my breath, focusing on my breath. Suddenly I realize my posture is no longer in the meditation posture. I'm hunched over and I'm leaning to the side. And then as soon as you realize this, you have to forgive yourself. Oh, something has happened. Back to your posture. And then what happens is there's two things that are going on in that moment. And this has happened to me so many times. First, you can realize that there's some reason that you're slouching. And the reason is usually because there, if you weren't slouching, there would probably be some pain that you would have to feel. And so the body reacts to prevent yourself from feeling pain. So this is one reason. Second reason is the mind. Usually when the mind starts to daydream, you know, we have these wonderful daydreams, mind starts going, the daydream is happening, we're dreaming, dreaming of this or that, one thing or another, then the Then the meditation posture of presence also slackens, then so you find yourself daydreaming, maybe you don't even realize you're daydreaming, maybe suddenly you just realize, oh, what a weird posture I'm in, leaning over to one side, head hanging onto the shoulder, I better straighten up again, so you just straighten up, And just try again and see if you can look for the the, the moment before your mind wanders. See if you can look for the moment before um, your posture slackens. Now, this will come up in your yoga practice as well. So you're doing yoga. You're doing headstands. You're doing heads of balancing posture. And let's say headstand is quite difficult for you. You need to be so focused. The moment your mind thinks of anything else, what happens? fall. You fall down. What happened? You know, your teacher said, what happened? You know, you almost don't want to say, oh, I started thinking of whether I've paid for my parking or not. You almost don't want to say that. So I fell out of headstand, you know, or sometimes, you know, there's a, a thought that comes in, you know, breakfast when you're doing your yoga practice and you think, hmm, I want to make waffles, so then in the moment of you're trying to do a balancing posture, if you're dreaming of waffles, you're going to fall out of the balancing posture. And so the mind is going, balance is going. So it's one of those two things when your posture slackens, either the body is, you know, trying to avert itself from pain or the mind is daydreaming. So either way, whenever you notice it, there's no big problem. You just start to come back. You just start to come back. Mm-hmm. And so it's a very, it's a very similar thing is that, when you start to start to slump or change your position, it's like it's the same concept of, you know, an, an urge to move. So I think, uh, Maya, this is what you were writing down in there, that there is this feeling of the of an, of an urge to move. So when you notice if you're straight and if you if your posture is straight and everything is good, don't move. But if you notice, and you can objectively look with wisdom, oh, I'm noticing that my posture is rounded and my head is over to the side, at that point, straighten up. Make sense? Okay, so that's important. That's super important. Now, uh, someone is asking if I listen to my own meditations. No, I would like to though, you know, I, after I meditate myself, I would like to listen to somebody guiding me in the meditation. This is something I enjoy when I do the meditation retreat. I also have the same feeling in the yoga class. I'm a little jealous of all the students. I feel like, oh, I want also to take the class. And then I'm teaching, but I'm not, I really like being a student. And so when I'm teaching, sometimes I feel like, well, oh, I also want to be in this class. You know, but I can't. You can do that. You know, you're teaching. You have to teach. Particularly sometimes when it's a when there when you can feel the good energy in the class. Sometimes in you know like the guided primary series, when there's a really good energy in the class, I just have this feeling like, oh, I want to be the student also. So then I make opportunity every chance I get to be the student. You know, which is why I, and I take classes whenever I can and just try to continue down the road of and um, being the student. Well, there's one last question. How did you know that you are ready for teaching? You know, to be honest with you, I don't know that I'm ready for teaching, but I thank all of you for coming to class. And so because you're here, then I'm teaching. I don't know if I'm ready for teaching. I feel very much I'm on the student's journey. And then then people ask me to share with them what I've experienced. And so I'm so grateful to all the students, to all of you who took this time out of your life to come and do this meditation with me and Hear me talk and share my insights from the practice. So I think that I don't know that I'm ready to teach, but when I see the students there, then I think, uh, okay, well, we better, we better do something because there are all these people who want to, you know, take some benefit of whatever practice I've done. So I really thank the students. And I think it's the students like all of you that make it possible to, to share the teaching and anybody that's thinking of um, teaching. I would say just wait for the feedback when people start asking you about, Hey, you seem like, you learn something from all this uh, yoga and uh, meditation that's going on. So, Hey, can you, can you teach me too? So in that moment, then you get that feedback. I feel like in that moment, then it's a really good sign that, Hey, okay, maybe, maybe i have some responsibility to, so again, we go back to that question of keeping the benefits, not only for yourself. Now you have to share the benefits. Someone's saying to you, Hey, you've been doing yoga. You seem really calm. Can you show me what you learn? If you say no, Well, then you've kept the benefit of yoga for yourself. If you don't feel like, oh, I cannot teach, then you can say, listen, I have only been doing yoga a little bit. Let me take you to my teacher. That you can do as well. Let me take you to my teacher. Then you can be like a... Yoga uh, uh, you know, marketing representative. you can go around and you know be promote yoga. Wonderful, wonderful. You're in promotion. I feel every yoga student is like a mini promotion of yoga. When you go out there, if you're very, very calm and you're very, very peaceful and then everyone else is yelling around you and you just stay very peaceful, that in and of itself is the best advertisement for doing yoga, doing meditation. All these things we put on the social media, we put on Instagram, we put the legs behind the head, we do all this, who cares? Who cares? You know, somebody can put the leg behind the head and yell at the same time. Oh, no, no. This is not the good advertisement for yoga or meditation or the spiritual path. If you can be the only one in the room who is able to remain calm and peaceful and loving and be kind towards others and kind towards yourself, then you're the best, uh, best advertisement for yoga that there is. When someone comes up to you and says, how are you so peaceful and calm? You can say, I do this thing called yoga. I meditate. I do yoga and meditation. I'm on the spiritual path. And then they say, you know, will you teach me? If you feel like you want to teach them, teach them. Show them what, you know, say, this is what I do or invite them to class. Hey, come to class with me. I'm not ready to teach, but I'll introduce you to these teachings to the best of my abilities. So I'm going to bring you to class and I'll give you a yoga mat. You can have my old mat and you can have my old yoga clothes and just try it out and I'll bring people onto the path. I, mean, I think this is the way that the practice really spreads. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Yoga Inspiration Show. It's always a pleasure to share the inner space of the yoga journey with you. Remember, you can always find me online at omstars.com, www.omstars.com, and on my YouTube channel and all social media at Kino Yoga. I look forward to seeing you on the mat and more than anything, I hope you take the inspiration to practice yoga and make your world a better place. You can redeem a 14-day free trial and get access to our full library of over 3,000 classes and also practice yoga with me online. I'd also love to see you in class sometime. So you can find my full live in-person teaching schedule on my website, which is kinoyoga.com. And if you haven't checked out my books, I'd absolutely be honored if you'd check those out. You can find those available at any online bookseller. The Yoga Inspiration Podcast is designed to keep you inspired to get on the mat. And I hope you're leaving each episode with a little glimmer and spark of the spirit, which is the true heart of the yoga method. Thanks so much for tuning in, everyone. May you be happy, may you be peaceful, may you be filled with love, Namaste.